Welcome to the 338th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with Donna Bear Stein, author of the short story collection, Scenes from the Heartland. Stay tuned for the interview. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Listen to audiobooks during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. Reading and Writing Podcast Special Offer. Get two audiobooks for the price of one with your first month of membership with code RWPODCAST. That's code RWPODCAST for two audiobooks for the price of one for your first month of membership at Libro.fm. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Donna Bayer Stein, author of the new short story collection, Scenes from the Heartland. Donna is the author of The Silver Baron's Wife and Sympathetic People, as well as two poetry collections. She was a founding editor of Bellevue Literary Review and founded and publishes Tiferet Journal. Donna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for having me on. Sure. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about your collection, Scenes from the Heartland, yet, can you describe what inspired the collection and the stories? Yes. um, It's kind of an interesting uh, way to start a book. Um, I had written an earlier collection of short stories um, and wanted to write a second collection of short stories and was kind of, I was sitting in my office one day thinking, well, what do I want to write about? And I saw on my wall a lithograph by Thomas Hart Benton, who was a very famous regionalist painter, internationally famous regionalist painter. And he was from Kansas City, where I grew up. And my father had been gifted one of Benton's early lithographs many, many decades ago. And I inherited it. And I sat there looking at this lithograph. It's a horse and boys and a field and a gray farmhouse. And I started just describing on paper what I saw. And um, I knew that the lithograph had been made in the early part of the 20th century and that this particular one was set in Missouri. So I did a little research about that era in farms in Missouri. And after I described what I literally saw in the lithograph, I thought, okay, the only people we see in the lithograph are two young boys. And I really didn't want my narrator to be a young boy, but I figured that there's somebody back in that gray farmhouse, a parent perhaps, or two parents, and somebody had cut, there's some cut logs that show in the lithograph. Somebody had recently cut those. So I knew there were adults around. So I just started making up a story basically. Um, And, um, I started out describing the scene in the lithograph and then the last line of, I think it's the opening paragraph is something that there's a gray farmhouse in the distance with one eye of a window and behind that window, someone dreamed. And then that takes us into the um, first, the uh, limited, that takes us into the narrator's head, uh, limited 
third person, Amber, the wife and mother. So that story, after I wrote it, um, was published in a literary journal called Virginia Quarterly Review. And I thought, that was fun. I'll do that again. And I happened to own an old book published in the late 60s that's a collection of Benton's black and white lithographs. Um, they were collected by a lawyer in Texas named Creek Morfath, which is which would make a wonderful character's name, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he was enamored of Benton's artwork, and he, co- he collected li- his lithographs and corresponded with Benton um, because often the pictures had not been titled, and so Benton wrote Creek Morfath and suggested titles, and in the book, Fath put together, there are handwritten notes by Benton. And just for a second here to tell anyone who's listening about Thomas Hart Benton, if they don't already know him, um, as I said, he was a very well-known regionalist painter originally from Kansas City, also spent a lot of time on Martha's Vineyard. Um, He was the teacher of Jackson Pollock, who developed a very different style, certainly, than Benton. Um, In the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City, they have a room devoted to one of Benton's most famous um, series of murals called America Today. And um, so all four walls of this room at the Metropolitan Museum of Art are are covered with these murals by Benton, and they're just fantastic to look at because they portray America. I think it was done in the 20s. Um, or the early 30s, and they portray steelworkers and miners and bankers and dance hall girls and farmers, all kinds of people that make up this country. And Benton was an, was one of the early painters to paint ordinary people. Um, and he would um, leave Kansas City and his wife and two kids for a couple months in the summer and walk around Missouri, the Ozarks, Arkansas, and sketch people. And then he would come back to this beautiful windowed studio that he had at the house in Kansas city and, um, make the lithograph. And the house is now a museum and it's wonderful to visit. So isn't there a a word to describe fiction or, or writing that is inspired by visual art? Yes, that's the perfect question and segue. It's called ekphrastic writing, E-K-P-H-R-A-S-T-I-C. And it's based on two Greek words that I'm probably going to forget right this minute, but it's something about to to observe and see significance in. And um, some contemporary examples of ekphrastic writing include... um, a uh, girl with a pearl earring by Tracy Chevalier. Um, that novel was made into a movie, and the novel was based on a painting by Vermeer. And in an interview I read um, with Tracy Chevalier, she said she had owned a poster of this Vermeer painting for many years, and one day sat down and decided to write the young woman as a character. Um, so that's an example of an ekphrastic novel. Another one is, um, it's called, um, it's by Christina Baker Klein, and it's called Peace of the World, I think. 
and it's based on the Wyeth painting called um, Christina's World, which is a woman in a pink dress lying down on the grass in front of a farmhouse. And so that not, that's a wonderful novel that's an example of ekphrastic writing. In poetry, if you think back to high school or college, you were probably um, you probably read um, Keats' Ode on a Grecian Urn. That's he, that's a poem that he wrote based on a not on a painting, but a piece of visual art, the urn. And um, there are, there are many other examples, contemporary and and not. Um, Edward Hopper paintings are often used for acrostic poetry. They've been done by Anne Carson and Victoria Chang and uh, Bruegel. There's a Bruegel painting that's had two poems written about it um, by W.S. Merwin and William Carlos Williams, two different poems written about the same painting. Um, so there's lots of examples. And I actually teach acrostic writing. I really enjoy teaching it because it's, it, you know, paintings or photographs provide incredible prompts, such perfect creative prompts for someone to write from. So what drew you to Thomas Hart Benton's style of art for this collection? I think it, it, it um, well, one was simply having Kansas City in common with him and owning the lithograph that felt special. And and also just, I guess, you know, I do have my roots in Missouri and, and looking at the scene, that one scene and looking at the other scenes, um, I, I, I just felt a connection, not Midwestern roots. But the other thing that really came through as I was writing the... the Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply stories that are in the collection was that you know just a such a perfect reminder of how again how diverse this country is and um i have one story in there called a landing called compromise um and that was the last story i wrote and it was very meaningful to me because as I, i i as i wrote it our country was you know divided as it is still is and um, um, I learned that that during a flood in, I believe, 1937, there was uh, literally a place. It was in New Madrid, um, Missouri, but it sat on the state line between Missouri and Kentucky. And there was a church that sat on that state line. And the people from Kentucky sat on one side of the church and the people from Missouri sat on the other and there would be a man with a gun at the end of the pew in the middle aisle. 
And I just thought, God, this is, you know, this, we have to change this, right? And um, so in the story, there are two women who are one from Missouri and one for, from Kentucky, and they're enemies for other reasons as well. But when this flood happens, something makes them realize their common humanity. And the thing that was fun and interesting is like, I love what you can find synchronistically when you're doing historical research. And so as I'm researching this flood, I learned about this church and I learned about this landing, river landing that was literally called compromise. I thought, God, you know, how much, how much better does it get? So those were real gifts from the research. That's great. So why do you think Benton's art still resonates in today's world more than four decades after his death? Um, I think because it's very vibrant and muscular and energetic. And I mean, if you go into, I mean, his artwork is in museums all over the world, but, and in state Capitol buildings, et cetera. But if you, if you go into that museum, into that mural room at the Met, you cannot help but just be vitalized by what you see of what this country is really. And, you know, he shows rolling cornfields, he shows railroad lines, he shows big cities with skyscrapers. It's what makes up America. And just, you know, we are a melting pot and, and all the different kinds of people. Um, so that really resonates with me. And an interesting fact about that mural is that the steel worker figure in the painting, it's a very muscular man holding up a whatever you whatever the tool is that he's holding up. And the model for that figure was um Jackson Pollock, a young Jackson Pollock. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So can you remember the first fiction that you ever wrote? That I wrote? Yes. Um as a little girl, I wrote a story called Melissa in Book World, and Book World was underwater, and she went down there and lived down there, and there were all these books down there. And they- That's great. So what was your writing journey that eventually led you to writing and getting your first books published? Well, it's been a long journey, <laughs> a lot of ups and downs, and... and um, uh, you know, I always wanted to be a writer, but for work, I went to graduate school and then for in literature and then for work, I decided to be a copywriter, a direct mail copywriter instead of a teacher because I didn't think I could speak out loud then. And um, so I became a copywriter and I would write poems and stories on the side and take classes, et cetera. And then when I was 40, I went and got an MFA at Johns Hopkins. And then the thesis for that was the kind of the base revised, of course, but was kind of the basis for much of the first story collection, Sympathetic People. And um, and then I just kept doing it. I was also raising two kids and following my former husband for work and doing direct mail copywriting. So it was always on the side. And um, then, you know, maybe 10 years ago or so, I was able to not do the copywriting and um, focus on the writing. And I am publishing a interfaith 
literary journal, which is work and takes time, but I'm fortunate to be able to, when I have the mental wherewithal, I'm fortunate to be able to focus on writing, I must say. (laughs) So so do you think that there was any overlap uh, between the skills that you use for direct mail copywriting and your eventual poetry and fiction and stories? Yes, definitely. Um, Just the act of writing, it's like building muscle memory or something, just the act of putting words together in ways people are going to understand. The importance of taking out every unnecessary word, the importance of hooking the reader early on, getting them invested in, what's to come. Um, a lot of things. Yeah, it did help. And so what was your MFA experience like? Because you did it um, later than a lot of people yeah. do an MFA. What, what was that experience like for you? It was great. I was the oldest in my class, although there was one other woman who was close to my age. But um, And I would go back, it was in Baltimore, and I lived in McLean, Virginia at the time, and and I had, at the time, a five-year-old. And so I didn't live in Baltimore. I would go, I forget if it was two, I think it was three days a week, I would go for classes, and then I would drive home. And I loved doing the homework, I thought, because I hadn't done homework for, for a few years, and it was really nice to be assigned books to read and papers to write and things, and and I thought one of my I thought my professors were fantastic. One was John Barth, who'd been an idol of mine for a long time, and the other was Stephen Dixon, who became an idol of mine. Both very different writing styles, very different teaching styles, but both terrific. That's great. So, what writing advice would you offer for those who are writing their own stories and novels? Um, to write, to let your first draft be imperfect um you know i really in my own writing at least i feel like 80 percent of good writing is rewriting like my first drafts are usually very rough um i know writers who can write first draft final draft and and if you can do that that's great but if you can't do that don't give up on writing because you know you want to get you want to silence the inner critic and get all the words you can on the page and then go back and as Virginia Woolf used to say, she would pick out the diamonds from the dust heap. <laughs> so are you working on another novel or more short stories now? I have two novels that I have about 70 to 80 pages of, and um, I've been debating which one to go back to complete. So <laughs> one's contemporary and one's historical. Got it. So what fiction or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Right now, I'm listening on Audible to The Boy in the Field by Margot Livesey, who was one of the teachers I had at Breadloaf. Um, it's lovely. It's just out now. She's a wonderful novelist and writer. And um, I finished The Silent Patient, which is, I forget the name of the author. It's a debut psychological thriller. It's not the kind of book I usually read, but but I was totally drawn into it. It was a real page turner. Um, Oh, I'm looking forward to Elizabeth. Elizabeth Berg has a memoir coming out um, that I'm looking forward to. I always love her books. Um, there's a new book of short stories by um, Ellen Peters Campbell that um, 
that I I really liked. Um, and oh gosh, I have others on my to be read stack. Um, That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels and short story collections and poetry collections? My website, my author website is DonnaBearstein.com. And I also have a website for the Interfaith Literary Journal where we take submissions of poetry and stories and essays. That's Journal, T-I-F-E-R-E-T journal.com. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Donna Bayer Stein, author of the new short story collection, Scenes from the Heartland. The collection is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Donna, thanks for doing this interview. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.